is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Baltimore, 1962. Oh, you're looking good. A the heyday gone. of hairdos and hairdos. We shall well, overcome someday. Not with that hair, you won't. Heartthrobs and hefty girls. Mama, yeah. welcome to the 60s. 60s? Wait, wait, hold on, wait. Let me check my chrono watch. No, it's the 80s. Oh, that's because the movie takes place in the 60s. Silly me. Welcome back, everybody, to the 80s in the 2020s as we are back for a brand new spanking episode of your latest and greatest blast from the past with 80s Revisited. I, of course, am your host host with the most, (laughs) Trey Harris, and the spray in my hair... Uh, no, it's, I'll take it back. That was dumb. My producer extraordinaire, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Sometimes, folks, you just can't make a correlation. Say, Sounds right in your stylist. head. There you go. <laughs> extraordinaire. Hairstylist, producer, logic maker, all sorts of things. Dream weaver, plus actor. But anyway, everybody, welcome back. As we continue our celebration, supporting our, trying to be a good ally for our, our friends uh, with Pride Month, talking about this week, we're talking about Hairspray, a cult classic, uh, because pretty much any other major, many movies about uh, these topics in the 80s are not very flattering, so <laughs> we're going to go with this one. Uh, so let's get right into it. Hairspray, originally, the original, not the creepy one with John Travolta from a few years ago, the OG John Waters Hairspray, February 26th. 1988, IMDb gives it a 7. Rotten Tomatoes critics, 98%. Nice. However, the audience, bit far, bit, uh, bit, bit of a gap here. 79% audience, still a good audience score, but 98 from critics, pretty damn high. Estimated $2 million budget, opened at an unbelievable $577. Thousand dollars, which was good enough for number twelve for uh, in its opening weekend. Number one would go to the Robin Williams classic. Good morning, Vietnam. Uh, domestically, it would go on, however, to grow six point six, thus being a pretty big success for a two million dollar budget. Uh, as usual, when we deal with movies in this decade. There's not uh, usually a lot of info related to uh, worldwide grosses or rentals for a lot of uh, films from that time, unfortunately. So, but nevertheless, it has achieved cult status regardless and as mentioned before directed and written by the great john waters uh most notably pink flamingos crybaby uh serial mom pecker with uh, edward furlong speaking of edward furlong i watched pet cemetery 2 the other night like god mm-hmm. damn like he's such a terrible actor mm. like i don't know <laughs> from like terminator right yeah, the, yeah. You know, somebody comes up to you with an attitude. It's hasta la vista, baby. It's fine <laughs> in Terminator Two. You, you know, I mean, ain't gonna shit on him that bad. But I mean, God, watching Pet Cemetery Two, I was just like, Jesus Christ! Like, he's one of the worst actors I've ever seen in my life. But he was good in uh, American History X. I'll give him that. Uh, definitely good in that. But God, I don't know, man. Pet Cemetery Two. I love that movie, but he is so bad in it. But he was also, as I mentioned before, in John Waters' Pecker, where he played a character named Pecker, who was a photographer or something. I don't know. Never seen it. Uh, let's see. Cinematography was by David Inslee. He also worked with John, uh, previously with John Waters on Crybaby with now former disgraced, supposedly or allegedly, actor Johnny Depp. And Polyester, his other 
John Waters' only other 80s movie. Uh, and starring former huge, I mean, well, that's kind of, in a sense of her actually, her being a huge star, not her anything related to her physical appearance. Ricky Lake, because uh, her talk show in the 90s was, oh, the, the, what all the girls talked about. Did you watch Ricky Lake yesterday, Rebecca? Totally, Tiffany. So cool. Anyway, being facetious, she was big in the 90s with her talk show, but she was Tracy in this. She also started with Waters and Crybaby and uh, and Serial Mom, and she had a bit part in the 07 remake of this very film. Uh, The late, great Jerry Stiller as her dad, Wilbur. Of course, Seinfeld, and like we were talking off the air, Jesse, I really believe that the... uh, the basis for uh, George Costanza's dad from Seinfeld was this exact character from, from this movie. Just so he just turned up the neurotic for the Seinfeld character, but the, it's just so much there. And again, I don't, I'm not too familiar with Jerry Stiller aside from Seinfeld and some other like very small things. So I'm not sure if that's just his personality uh, in general, just, you know, that's his, uh, his uh, shtick, so to speak. But of course he was a comedian with his wife on TV. So it's more than likely that's probably the answer to that. And the lovely, always lovely and still lovely Debbie Harry as Velma, of course, lead singer from Blondie. She was also in Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, she also started with Cronenberg or in the David Cronenberg film with James Woods Videodrome. Really great uh, movie there. And honestly, I, I think one of probably the, the biggest, uh, the best character in the movie, Ruth Brown as Motormouth Mabel. Uh, she's a very big singer from the 50s. However, I didn't, I'm personally, I didn't recognize any of her hits. Uh, the ones I listened to were like not ones that I personally recognize, but she's very, very big uh, musician, very talented musician, uh, very um, revered musician. In fact, she was ranked number 60 on VH1's 100 Greatest Women of Rock and Roll in a 1999 list. Uh, Michael St. Gerard is Link Larkin. Now, I'll put him on here because this dude has played Elvis in, if you look at his IMDb, he's got uh, uh, like maybe 20 credits. Four or five of those are Elvis. <laughs> so he's kind of like, he's a professional like IMDb, like film Elvis impersonator, so to speak. He played Elvis in Great Balls of Fire in another film called Heart of Dixie. He played Elvis in a TV miniseries. And also he played Elvis in Quantum Leap. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, speaking of musicians, because there's a lot of them in here, Sonny Bono, oh no, as Franklin. Of course, Sonny and Cher, uh, he was the mayor in the TV show Lois and Clark. Uh, and I guess a lot of millennials might remember him as being in that Eminem song after he hit a tree uh, and passed away from a skiing accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scientologist, too, I believe. So, uh, eh. uh, Pia Zadora was, beatnik, was the beatnik chick. Uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Uh, recently, she's a veteran of the podcast. We covered her. Uh, she was. We covered her when we talked about Troop Beverly Hills, and she was also in Naked Gun, thirty-three and a third. Which is whenever I hear the name Pia Zadora, that's what I think of is her falling into the orchestra pit uh, off of Liam. Uh, I almost said Liam Neeson, <laughs> Leslie Nielsen's shoulders. <laughs> well, imagine that. Imagine the multiverse world where the Naked Gun series stars Liam Neeson. <laughs> that's totally different. In the remakes, although, yeah. Yeah, I, if it played to its comedic strengths, like in those uh, Ricky Gervais uh, was that extras yeah, that show or yeah. whatever that clip, like <laughs> I have AIDS. You know, if they could play to his strengths. It could be a, it could be a worth uh, a worthy alternate reality, but <laughs> it takes some work and some some good script writing, a uh, screenwriting. Uh, Rick Ocasek is uh, the beatnik cat in the same scene with Piazzadora, uh, but most notably and pretty much his only other note is that Rick uh, Ocasek, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he's the lead singer of the Cars. Uh, Hmm. Very uh, good, and I would say 
uh, a very good description of a fun band, uh, in my opinion. Cars are great. Check out their greatest hits album. You've definitely heard some of their songs. Their music videos in the 80s were pretty iconic as well. But I will say, I got to see Rick Okasek in concert, not playing with the Cars, but um, in a little... Uh, I, I'm not going to say super group, because it's not really a super group, but pseudo super group uh, called Credence Clearwater Revisited. The very first concert, quote unquote, that I ever went to at a casino in Louisiana was oh, Credence Clearwater Revisited. Now, what that means, it's it wasn't John Fogarty, the lead singer and arguably the mastermind behind CCR, Credence Clearwater Re- Revival, uh, but it was the drummer and the bassist. And the guitarist was touring with them was Rick Okasek from The Cars. And they had some lead singer that looked like Brian uh, Johnson from ACDC, but sounded like John Fogarty. Hmm. So, uh, and that's where the name know, of this was, podcast comes from. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, so it was, uh, it was, it was, I mean, your first, you know, your first concert when you're like, oh, how old was, I was really young. I was like maybe 14. You know, so it was pretty cool. Like, oh, you know, oh, it's not. I felt bad for him though, because somebody in the crowd had a sign that said, John Fogarty is the greatest singer songwriter in the world. I'm just like, oh man, those poor guys on stage trying <laughs> to see this sign. Because uh, if you don't know the history of CCR, Wikipedia, it, YouTube it, they like pretty much John Fogarty hates his bandmates. <laughs> pretty much, they're all very uh, malicious with each other, and it's a very sad story because CCR is one of the greatest bands ever, in my opinion. But moving on, speaking of musicians, again, this movie's full of them. Colleen Ann Fitzpatrick as Amber. Uh, you would know her, especially from the Naked Gun Two and a Half, Rockstar, Dracula Two Thousand. Oh wait, you might not know her from those, but you do know her as her uh, not stage. Well, I guess it is stage because you perform music on a stage. So her stage name of Vitamin C. You know, as we go on, blah 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 blah, we will still be friends forever. Uh, you know, that's every May you hear it. Every class, every graduation class walks down the aisle to it these days. I guess I don't know. Uh, it came out the that song came out I think the year after I graduated, so I was spared having that as my graduation song. But uh, yeah, and then finally, last but certainly not least, as uh, the late great divine as Edna and Arvin, a dual role in this film. Of course, uh, she was also most notable for being in Pink Flamingos, where she ate doggy doo, and uh, also con- uh, John Waters considered Divine to be his muse. And if you don't know who Divine is, she's a drag queen. And if you've seen The Little Mermaid and you remember Ursula, Ursula was based off Divine. So if you've seen The Little Mermaid, you've pretty much seen Divine because they look exactly the same <laughs> for the most part, except Divine in reality didn't have, you know, eight legs. But uh, yeah, so Hairspray. Now, of course, this is a, in the LGBTQ plus community, it's a big cult hit. Uh, I could have sworn I saw this movie before, but watching it the other day, I think this was probably the first time I've actually seen it. I think it's one of those, um, for me at least, uh, I did see the remake with John Travolta, but I think it's one of those movies that I've seen, I had always heard about or knew enough about or seen bits and pieces of to where I knew the story, to where I, you know, Mandela Effect thought I, yeah, I've seen that movie. I really don't think I have. It's like, I don't remember any of the, I mean, I remember the gist of the story, but uh you know, so it was pretty much, I'm going to say, this is probably the first time I've actually ever seen it start to finish for sure. And I must say, it was a very enjoyable movie. And, and get ready, put your woke and progressive uh, earmuffs on if you're a right-wing snowflake and can't handle people talking an opinion for just five <laughs> seconds out of an hour and a half podcast. 
the social commentary in this film is still very, very relevant, mm-hmm. which is sad. Uh, but uh, it's really with, with the, this movie's just got such a charm to it, and it really feels like you're watching, you know. Uh, you're, you're glimpsing the 60s through the lens of the 80s, if that makes any sense. So it's got kind of that, you know, it feels, it looks 60s, but at the same time, it, it's, it feels like an 80s movie that's 60s inspired, which technically that is what it is because it, it is an 80s movie made by John Waters' recollect, recollections from the 60s. Uh, but it uses a lot of music of the time period, some really good stuff. Uh, my only real complaint is that it, it is, there's a lot of music, uh, no, that's a bad thing, but uh, it's just a lot like the, and the dance sequences kind of go on a little too long where they're just it's basically a music video in a couple parts. Uh, not necessarily again, more of a nitpick, not complaining because uh, it's a very fun, uh, just enjoyable. I had a smile on my face the whole time. It's, it's, it's genuinely funny as well. A lot of the uh, the jokes are stick uh, still hit today. Uh, so very well written, I'd say very well acted. Everybody does a great job. Uh, everybody chews a little bit of scenery, which is in a John Waters film is kind of par for the course, uh, for the most part. And then, uh, I mean, Ricky Lake is, <laughs> it's just hilarious, uh, in herself, you know, cause, uh, I think I've only seen her in Crybaby in terms of acting aside from this. And then, oh, you know, always knew her from my first, my first knowledge of Ricky Lake was from her talk show, which Again, I, I was watching Jerry Springer. You know, the boys would come to school in the '90s saying, "Did you see Springer?" And the girls were like, you know, talk about Ricky Lake. That's just the way the world worked in South Louisiana in <laughs> in the '90s. Uh, but it's just uh, the 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 uh, the family dynamics between uh, Tracy and, and Jer- uh, Ricky Lake, Jerry Stiller, and Divine's characters. You know, it, it's heartwarming. It's very sweet. It's great. As and then you have the the manic. So, you know the the rich, you know the the stereotypical villain, so to speak, with with uh, Debbie Harry and Sonny Bono and everything. So it's it's just it's such it's it's really just if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. To be honest with you, I mean it's it is technically a musical, but it's a musical that uses real music. You know, it's so you're kind of like, you know, it's not like um, uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, Wizard of Oz, your know, original songs uh, throughout the film. It's a musical in that. These are you're, you're getting a bunch of sixty songs and kids are you know they're bopping to it whatever the the jive language is from the day, uh, but yeah it's just it's visually it's great uh, the the color palette just pops off the screen like I said uh, really just really really no complaints I'm I'm really glad that I watched it because <laughs> like I said my only when I every time until recently until I watched this. My only, whenever everybody said, oh yeah, hairspray, thinking of talking about the movie, my mind goes to that creepy John Travolta version. <laughs> you know, every, right. I just go to this creepy, soulless, CG looking human being in reality that John Travolta was in the 07 hairspray because that was absolutely terrifying. And it, I mean, he had big, big heels to feel, feel, big heels to fill being in the remake. As God, just to get that off the screen, it's terrifying. <laughs> God, it's like nightmare, fuel. like legit nightmare fuel is John Travolta in his fat suit for uh, the remake of Hairspray. Like, why not get a? You know, they, there's plenty of real drag queens they could have picked to honor the legacy of Divine, as opposed to you know hiring John Travolta, uh, who is in a religion that still tries to convert gay people inside, you know, with Scientology and everything. 
you know, so that's kind of a, almost kind of disrespectful to be honest. No, Jesse, get it off. Ah! <laughs> What's wrong with his teeth? <laughs> Ugh, God, it's creepy. Like, if I, okay, if, if I was in a house and I, and I have to go down the stairs and there's two stairways and at the bottom of one of them is Michael Myers and the other one is, <laughs> is John Travolta from Hairspray. I'm going down Michael Myers. Just, <laughs> I'm like, ah! Jesse, seriously, that's disturbing. <laughs> All I see on my screen right now is a close-up of <laughs> really. Although we'll say, you know what? I have to say, the makeup job is really well done. Can't see. It has to be like it must be a full face prosthetic because there's no lines. Yeah. So we'll say that the makeup the the makeup is pretty spot on for that. But that is still <laughs> soulless, <laughs> lifeless eyes. His statins are <laughs> rioting right now. <sighs> but yeah. Uh, so, I mean, again, like this is, for, you know, I really don't want to repeat myself too much, but, you know, this is a really, it's a really good movie. It's really, like, I would agree with the critics more so than uh, the audience in terms of just like, it's, it's enjoy this, uh, the original, not the remake. Uh, it's just, it's, and John Waters also makes a cameo as like this, uh, I guess, a psychologist because the, the film deals with race and everything. Uh, really, and it does it really well to where it's so, like, the satire is so spot on in the film and that's what holds up so much today to where it's like you know when people don't think they're being racist but they're actually being racist mm. kind of thing and this film really really like it, it, it you know it was made in 88 talking about the 60s which was also obviously relevant then relevant in 88 but also you know here we are 40 uh, for, uh 30 34 years later and it's honestly just just as relevant so it's it's actually you know, it's it's got something to say, but it's like, that's the thing. Like you know, a lot of people oh, want to like movies that are preachy. Well, that's fine. But you still listen to what they're saying at least. Uh, but this one just does it in such a way that it's entertaining to where it's not like preachy. It's, it's much more like, this is pretty obvious what, you know, and it, this is pretty much, this is a very obvious issue that you need to recognize and stand up for. Wee-oo, wee-oo, wee-oo. Sorry, not sorry mm-hmm. uh, for that. But yeah, uh, Jesse, have you ever seen the original 1988 John Waters Hairspray? I don't believe I have. I think, I mean, you know, like I, like I think I said with like Streets of Fire and all that, with anything with the music aspect and all that, I think you'd really like it. It's, uh, it's just enjoyable. And the music, it just, it's uh, along the lines of how expertly, you know, James Gunn and Tarantino pick licensed music for their movies. Uh, it's very much like that in terms of the music selection. And it is just uh, spot on. There's a few like, you know, few bopping hits from the sixties that I recognize, mm. you know, listen to it. Uh, but it really, uh, it nails the feel. It nails. It's, it, that's the weird thing. Like I was kind of saying before, it's, it's sort of, anch- what is the word? An- anchronistic. Like it takes place in the sixties, but it, it just feels in a weird way, timeless for the most part, because, you know, all these fashions from the 80s and the 60s and it's every every time you know everything kind of rotates it's cyclical you know mm. so uh but yeah if you haven't seen it i recommend it it's a i mean it's a cult it's a as we've talked about a lot lately on the podcast it's a genuine cult classic uh in the truest sense of the word uh you know obviously it's not rocky horror picture show levels but it's 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 a pretty well-known uh and appreciated and loved film uh, especially, of course, in the LGBTQ plus uh, arenas, but also just in general. I mean, it's a it's a legit good movie. It's just really entertaining, really fun. Uh, it's something I would watch again for sure. 
you know, not obviously every night. God, it's really like watching Hairspray right now. Uh, <laughs> but it's definitely a really, really good movie. Absolutely worth watching. The uh, And like I said, the satire in it is so spot on. Uh, one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen is when um, her friend's, uh, uh, Ricky Lake's best friend in the film, her mom is very racist, like terrified of African-Americans. And she's looking for her daughter and she like goes – takes a cab following them and they go to a they're going to a you know uh african-american part of town with a record store to learn how to dance and the mom's like clutching her pearls the whole time and they're like everybody's fucking with her it's just a great great scene it is so funny but unfortunately so true (laughs) in a way that you know is sad but nevertheless i recommend it and uh if you haven't seen it check it out but uh Onto the trivia, I thought this was pretty uh, pretty interesting. Ricky Lake was rapidly losing weight while they were filming this because of the intense dance lesson she had to take for the film. And like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of like dancing in the movie. Uh, so she reportedly had to quote eat like crazy in order to stay uh, plump for the role. Uh, their words, not mine. Uh, this is John Waters' first and only PG-rated film. Because if you're familiar with any of his other movies, they're not, <laughs> not quite as. Uh, <laughs> squeaky clean is this one uh you you go from you know people drinking tears uh in a stalker-esque way to eating dog do so it runs the gamut of filth and smut because john waters is usually considered like the uh he has a nickname a moniker i should say like not the king of filth no no divine was considered the queen of filth i think john waters had a you know he's, he's got he's got a moniker i can't remember it uh but anyway uh, but the scene, a scene was filmed where Tracy actually finds cockroaches in her hair. And it was based on an urban legend about a girl whose brain is eaten by cockroaches that were living in her beehive hairdo. Uh, didn't make it into the final cut, but it explains all the references to roaches in the latter part of the film, <laughs> uh, which was interesting. And then uh, Pia Zadora was offered the role of Amber Von Tussel, which is the, the uh, antagonist, uh, Debbie Harry and... Uh, Sonny Bono's daughter in the film, but she was unable to commit due to scheduling conflicts, but John Waters was adamant that she'd be in the film, so she cleared two days to shoot the cameo, as I mentioned earlier when we went over the cast, as the beatnik chick with Rick Okasek, however you pronounce his last name. Rick from the Cars is what I'll call him. Uh, the role of Edna was actually written for the uh, famed trans woman Christine Jorgensen originally. However, when the role of Tracy had to be rewritten, John Waters also rewrote the role of Edna to keep his friend and his muse divine in the production, which probably the better better thing anyway for the uh for the movie i'd say uh and then it was actually what hold on i totally skipped ahead of my notes sorry uh it is divine's final film released during his lifetime he died three weeks after it released very sad but, but you know only in a few john waters films have made a pretty damn big impact uh while he was around uh it received the film received critical acclaim and it actually ranks number 444 on Empire Magazine's 2008 list of the 500 greatest movies of all time. So yeah, 444 is a pretty high number, but it's, we're talking, you know, if you're talking about 500 movies of all time, yeah, that's still a pretty damn good ranking. And in 2002, the film was adapted into a Broadway musical of the same name. It won eight Tony Awards, including Best Musical in 2003. And then, of course, the remake we've mentioned with the Nightmare Fuel version of John Travolta was released in 2007 by New Line Cinema and included many changes from the original uh i wouldn't i would like to rewatch it just to see what the differences were but i don't want to rewatch it because of 
John Travolta. Uh, and according to Business Insider, I'll leave you with this last bit of trivia. Hairspray is the most popular movie that is set in Maryland. So there's your uh, random factoid for the uh, episode. Score-wise, like I said, I really enjoyed this movie. I give it a 7.5. Uh, nothing really bad about it. It's just it's good. It's just not necessarily my type of movie, if that makes sense, you know. Uh, of course, you know, I lean towards horror, action, sci-fi as my genre de plume. That's not a du jour of the day. I don't know. Favorite genre. <laughs> that could be a way to put it, I guess. Uh, but it's still a good movie. It's one that uh, I could definitely uh, see watching again down the road. It's just fun uh, and absolutely worth your time. It's only an hour and a half, uh, so it's not like a incredibly uh, long or draggy movie. Uh, well, it's kind of draggy because you got Divine in it. But uh, it doesn't drag. It moves. Uh, and it keeps you know, like that's one thing. It keeps, it keeps your attention, and it gets, it gets some, the absurd and surrealistness of it just keeps growing and growing. And like I said, I have a smile on my face the whole time. So I say, check it out. And I just noticed that I did not put any real life factoids in my notes. I left off this section, <laughs> but I luckily keep all this stuff right up here, so I can simply just type 1988. And I can then scroll down to February. And let's see, in the real world, again, it released February 26, 1988. And on that, around that time, <laughs> let's see, not much really was going on. Mm. Let me find something of note here that happened around the time. Uh, let's see. Oh, on February 25th, the Constitution of the Sixth Republic of Korea came into effect. And uh, let's see. So there you go for all you all your Korean history buffs out there. And let's see anybody born around the same day. No, long for a uh, slow new. Oh wait, new no, story. no. Actually, February February twentieth, nineteen eighty eight. Rihanna was born. So six uh, eight days before hairspray. Re- oh, six days, excuse me, before hairspray released. The world was blessed with the birth of the billion dollar Barbadian pop singer princess Rihanna, and the world was a better place for it now let's see did anybody pass away around that date no well i mean a lot of people did but let's see anybody we would know Mm. nope 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 yeah pretty slow uh, news news time let's go yeah Yeah, i'm like oh look pete maravich oh wait no that's in january because yeah slow news day Hmm. but anyway back to the future this week uh i i was finally I finally got to see a movie I'd really wanted to see since it was announced. And that movie is The Incredible Weight of Massive Talent. The air quotes biopic of Nicolas Cage, so to speak. Uh, Tongue-in-cheek pic uh, where it takes the legend of Cage and puts it into a movie. But I must say, of course I'm a Nicolas Cage fanboy, but this movie was fucking great. Hmm. It's uh, him and Pedro Pascal have amazing chemistry. Uh the humor in it is so well done. It goes, it goes places <laughs> like things just randomly happen that are, that are just so great uh, in the movie. And it's absolutely whether, if, whether you like Nicolas Cage or not, if you think he's a terrible actor, which you're wrong, if you think that, uh, Oh, can't wait for a low review for trashing people who don't like Nicolas Cage. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's really, a, it's, it's really good. It's really, I want to say too much to spoil it. Uh, if you haven't seen the trailer, don't even watch the trailer. Just watch the movie. Trust me. It is great. Uh, it's Cage at his cagiest, but not. It's really, it's like the, he walk, the line that's walked between like the, the actor, Nicolas Cage, and then like the 
the perception of Nicolas Cage, I guess, is very well done in the film. Where like it doesn't like it leans a little bit, but then it kind of corrects and goes back. So it's very, uh, very, very entertaining. Highly recommend. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I give. If I had to give it a oh, let's see, yeah, if I had to, I'd give it a nine. It's like I will absolutely watch this movie again. It's got everything. It's got comedy, action, little. It's got some heart in it. It's great. So check it out. Is my final verdict on the unbearable weight? Oh, I said the incredible weight. The unbearable weight of massive talent, starring the world's greatest actor and thespian, Nicholas Coppola. So, hmm. Jesse, you had any time to check out anything lately? Let's see. Uh, binged all of Severance on Apple TV. Highly oh, recommend yeah. that. Um, Is that just one season so far? Or? It's one season, nine episodes. And I went into it not knowing anything about it, just that people really liked it. And so mm. I'll allow you to do the same. <laughs> and I won't <laughs> talk about it. Because <laughs> right from the very first sentence, it's like, what the hell's going on? So, Oh, wow. It's more of that. So, uh, and nice. then you, you understand what's going six? on. And then you're like, how are you going to get out of this? <laughs> huh. You said six episodes? Uh, nine episodes. Nine. Okay. Got, like, I assume they're like, what, 45 minutes, hour long episodes? Uh, they're an hour long. Yeah. Just gotcha. right around an hour. I also saw uh, the second Sonic. Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, um, been wanting to watch that, but Violet will not sit down still to watch it yet. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's fine. It's, it's more Sonic. Um, mm-hmm. I preferred the first one, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a fair sequel. And then I also watched. Uh, I'm catching up on a lot of watching. <laughs> the Adam Project on Netflix. That was another one I went into it not knowing anything, and I think that helped it. If I knew something, I probably would have been let down a little bit. But not knowing mm-hmm. anything, it was uh, you know I was wondering where it would go. And by the end of it, I did have questions like, why didn't they just Blank and you know, but then you're like, because they wouldn't have a movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. one of those things where it seems like an easy solution and they don't take it. But yeah, that's a, that's fine. You know, it was it was all right. It's part of um, you know, it's they had Free Guy and now they have this and I think he's gonna do something else. It's like all the um, I don't know. I feel like Ryan Reynolds has this sci-fi trilogy he wants to do or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> In between Deadpools. But, um, yeah, I think that's all I watched. Nothing nice. crazy. Did you watch Kenobi at all? Or, or, uh, did you finish Stranger Things? or I finished Volume 1 of Stranger Things. That's true. Um, yep. Looking forward to, what is it, like Volume 2 is like two episodes? <laughs> I think so. It's like two hours long or something. They're supposed to be like pretty long. <laughs> I mean, most. I'm pretty sure I know why they did it because they were like, "We're not done with it yet." <laughs> yeah, so, we, need to, we need to figure out something new. Okay, so we'll just do volume two, but it's only two episodes. Too bad we're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I haven't even started Kenobi yet. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm disappointed. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'm yeah. I'm disappointed in it. And that's I had, one like, of the such reasons. High hopes for it. I mean, I look at these IMDb scores and, you know, sometimes I'm not, I'll watch a six occasionally, but, you know, whenever it comes to a TV series, people are usually very high on those. And mm-hmm. Obi-Wan is, what, sitting at a two, uh, 7.2 or something like that? So, yeah, 7.3. 
But uh, I was like, I'll like- give it some time. I'll give it some time. See if that score goes up. You know, after- I haven't watched last done? night's episode. It, uh, I think it's got like, uh, let's see, it was an episode last night. I think it's got one or two more episodes left. It's only like six episodes. Okay. So, yeah, Severance has like I haven't seven. watched this week's. Wow. Yeah. It's just um, like they, I don't know. It's just, they just, they have to make everything complicated with story wise. They can't. And then not, the biggest thing I hate with sci-fi and especially the Marvel movies is they don't establish, they establish a power level for a character. And then like hmm. they play fast and loose with that as needed for the, the story. Yep. Like, uh, Sonic like again, I'm only, I haven't issue. seen, <laughs> That's what's uh, it's like super even go back to the seventies with Superman. Like he could spin the world back in like reverse time. So why does anything bad ever happen? You know, he could just oh, oh I missed saving that kid from that yep. car wreck. Let me just zip, zip the world back and grab him. It's just, you know, it's like and the Marvel movies are so bad with that. Like especially, you know, like it's such a trope to where like uh, in the current, there's a current Batman comic I'm reading. I forget what it's called. Killing. I think it's called. It's a limited series like Batman Killing Time, mm. and they just randomly introduce a character that can beat the shit out of Batman. Where has this person been like the past eighty years of continuity? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, he trained. You know, oh, he secretly trained with Ra's al Ghul. Like, that's so. That's just so convenient. And then, but, where did Ra's al Ghul like, find the time the to secretly train all these people? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's trained like fifty people now in the comic. <laughs> yeah. You know, his daughter, Batman. Damian Wayne, all these people. I mean, when does he find time to like you know, be nefarious and actually do bad stuff? <laughs> but you know, it's like, uh, and it, you know, uh, what's the last Marvel movie that uh, like? Uh, well, Shang Chi he was a martial Eternals? artist before, and so was his dad. Um, I'm just trying to think of one where like the villain is created, like in the movie. Uh, is created. You know, like, well, they meet the villain. It's like I have powers now. I'm going to be a villain. <laughs> oh. Uh. Yeah, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, like, uh, I, I, yeah, I have Spider-Man, like, okay, if, oh, Sp- like Spider-Man's a go because he has a lot of villains that just appear in his movies. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from the first Spider-Man, like, you know, okay, he's Spider-Man, he's an Avenger. He fought off, Than- he fought with the Avengers against Thanos. And then, ha-ha, I got these vulture wings. Ha-ha. <laughs> oh, actually, that was the first one. So what was the second? Oh, Mysterio. I have cameras. Yeah. And... Fog machines. I can fight an Avenger. You know, it's just like you know, it, how there's that trope of like you have characters who have been training and like nearly died before. We've gone <laughs> on that journey with them, and all of a sudden, haha! Like I got a superpower yesterday, and I can fist fight you to a standstill, Wolverine. No, like oh god, it's so I, I'm so tired of that. In like everything, like you know, give them like be smarter about it. Yeah. They, you know, not every villain has to be able to have like martial arts skills. Like that's so stereotypical with like any any character. Like every character can fist fight. You know, that's what <laughs> that will, that's like. For example, Storm on the X Men. Like that's a, that's a her, like this goes back to the eighties in, in X Men continuity. How Storm like she can fist fight. Like it was in her origin. She grew up on the street. She knew how to fight before she knew how to control her mutant powers. Uh, you know, and they use that in the comics today. Like, still, like they like Storm is a you don't fist fight Storm because she will kick your ass. <laughs> you know, mm. and then it's just like, oh, I, I'm, oh, oh no, it's uh, let uh, let's think of a generic superhero name. Oh no, it's oh my name, my name is Dark Blade. 
ah, you, I'm going to get you, Wolverine. Like, ah, ah, ah. Will Darkblade kill Wolverine? No, of course not. You know, no. it's like, it shouldn't even be a fight. It shouldn't even be, a, what I'm getting at is it shouldn't even be a fight. Right. You know, it should just be like one, you know, <laughs> uh, you know you're lame, bub. <laughs> you know, get good. Uh, kind yeah, that's of thing. a tough but thing to keep amping it up and pretending you're not, or <laughs> pretending you are, well, just, but I, you're really not. Well, just, I mean, you could just make it more feasible. Like, you know, if, 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 if you have these, these powers, like make your pet, the power, the, that power should be the foil for the hero to overcome. Like he's got these invisible force fields. I can't get by. I can't even touch him. Are these force fields airtight? Great idea. I can use gas. You know, to where they have, it makes the hero have to adapt. Like the hero should have to adapt to the villain, not just be like, we're totally evenly matched in every way. I have to think of something that like have to attack their hubris or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just like punch and then to have like, but I, I guess honestly, the bigger sin, I think along those lines and a lot of modern movies, anything to deal with like heroes or things like that is, is the power level flux. Like, Oh, this dude just did this, but now he can't do this. Yeah. Uh, it's in every superhero movie. It's just like, it's the, the power level is so inconsistent across things. Uh, Within, within the MCU and everything. And Star Wars, well, getting back to the topic, and go with Kenobi. Uh, Darth Vader has pulled Star Destroyers out of orbit with the Force. But he's having trouble holding Obi-Wan over a fire. You know, and it's just... It's made, uh, that's you know, And people are like, oh, Obi-Wan's getting review bombed because people are being racist to the, the, the antagonist. Um... In my opinion, I now I've heard the latest episode is her backstory. My opinion might change after watching it, but it's it's caught. We wanted to see Obi Wan in this show, and it's focusing on this character too much, to where it's like, I don't care about this character again. Haven't seen the new episode. This episode might flesh out her backstory, might make it to where I care about her. As of yet, it's called Kenobi. They tell us Hayden Christensen's coming back as Vader. All we want to see is Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Why is that so hard? The show is called Kenobi. That's the issue. Yeah. That's the problem. With, that's my problem with the show. And then, oh, oh okay, perfect. Okay, look. Here's a perfect example. Obi-Wan, in, you know, he's in, in episode four, he's like, uh, you know, blasters are uncivilized. And then they even make the reference to that, what he said in episode four, in episode two, where he uses a blaster. He's like, or episode two or three, whichever one he says, and he's like, oh, so uncivilized. Obi-Wan does not use blasters. The first three episodes of the show, he uses a blaster the entire time. <laughs> it's just like, no, they, know, they already know. You're, it's like they know you're Obi-Wan. They know you're a Jedi. Pull your lightsaber out, dumbass. It's just, it's just the writing. Like, McGregor's fine. He hasn't missed the beat. Uh, but the, the writing is just, it's just so dumb. It's just, it's bad. It's the writing... Is is what's killing Obi Wan? The story is just it's it's aggravating. Let me give a full disclaimer. I had very high expectations. That's my fault. But even if I had medium expectations, I would still feel this way. I would have had to go in with extreme low expectations. So far, still a couple episodes left. It could turn around. But so far, it's it's so, not good. It's, so, it's I haven't potential. seen it, but Hayden Christensen's in it as Darth Vader. Right. But James Earl Jones does the voice. Right. Hayden's so, is in the suit. How the hell am I supposed to know that? Does well, he ever oh, take oh, off oh, the helmet? 
I was about to say, they do have like scenes of him like, you know, getting his suit on kind of thing. See like the back of his head? (laughs) It's not like Empire. They show his face. They show him like in the tank. Like I was like, they could hire anybody to be in that (laughs) suit. (laughs) It's also like it's fan service is honestly is the main thing. They absolutely, you're absolutely right, but it's fan service. Because I was looking at the because credits, the prequels, like Darth Vader, Darth Vader, wait a second. <laughs> but then there's like a fighting double. There's like eight people playing Darth Vader. So he's, so Hayden's barely in it. <laughs> yeah, as far as I know. Uh, oh, but it's, man. it's it's just, uh, it's such way, like the, the trailer for the show is amazing. Like it's, it's, it's like, it looks like so intense. The trailer looks super intense and like hitting all the right yeah. notes. And then the show is just like. Womp, womp, womp. <sighs> Very disappointed so far. Which, Bummer. again, this like Kenobi's the like. We, I think we talked about it last episode or recently. You know, nobody really wanted to know how Han Solo became Han Solo because that's integral to his character. That there's a mystery there. But Obi Wan, we were so familiar with him as a young man. There's a gap in his timeline there that is an interesting place to focus on. That you can tell a story there because you just got to de- – all you need is Obi-Wan and some interesting side characters. And they do have the uh, the rebel agent character in this show, the chick from Game of Thrones. She's great in it. You know, they write her well. But second sister, whatever, uh, Moses, the, the Moses Ingram's character, Reva, Reva, whatever her name is. You know, I don't blame Moses Ingram, Ingram for, you know, the – you know, I say backlash. But I mean, there, there are some people being completely negative about her. Period. But I, it's the writing. It's just the writing of that character is just like, I don't care. You know, Darth Vader's standing right there. And you want me to care about her? <laughs> Are you crazy? You got to do something more. Like, I need to, I need, before you have him in the same room, I need to care. And then, uh, see, the more I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm remembering all these little nuances that just piss me off. Like, Vader does not accept failure. In the, in the original trilogy, somebody fails him one time, they get choked the fuck to death, and the next person is promoted to Admiral. Like, it happens three times in the original trilogy. But he, mm-hmm. gives, this, he gives Reva, like, eight chances. Like, Vader does, does not give you chances. He might give you one chance, and that's it. You fail him twice, you're dead. That. <laughs> it must be. Oh, and, and that's stupid. You know, this yeah. is because we're not talking, like, we're talking, like, three days before. I say three days. A few years before that, you know, it's like. Yeah. Oh, it's just so dumb. Like, and don't make Vader. See, the big thing about the about the Star Wars mythos too is that in the original trilogy, you know, the the lightsaber fighting was very reminiscent of what they could do at the time. And by what I mean by that is, it wasn't Asian cinema influenced. It was more like a actual sword duel. But the thing about that was is that you have the prequel trilogy, and it's the Matrix when they're doing lightsabers. Well, it does make sense because we're watching. Jedi in their prime. In the age of the Jedi, this is how it was done. In the OG trilogy, we're watching two old men lightsaber fight. You know, that's why it's very like, kind of like you do with your, you know, with your brother when you have a, uh, after you finish wrapping presents and you got the, you know, the wrapping paper rolls, you know, (laughs) that kind of, you know, left, right, swing, dodge, you know, very uh, coordinated uh, fightography, whatever you want to call it. and then now, now we're kind of in between that. And, but in the comics, because I read all the Star Wars comics, Vader's out there crushing TIE fighters out of the air, all this shit with the Force, uh, which, you know, I, it, it is cool, but, you know, it doesn't go into 
the pre the uh, the original trilogy. It doesn't there's a power gap now to where Vader should oh the Millennium Falcon's escaping. No, it ain't. You know, he pulls it out of the sky because he fucking does that in the comics and in the games and stuff that's still considered canon. So you know, get you know, characters need to have a power level. You know, do what they used to do with the the comic book cards in the '90s. Like you got a card. Oh, I got Cyclops's card. Turn it over on the back. Power level seven. Leadership nine. Energy attack eight. Uh, combat two. You know, you have like a scale here for what a character can do. They need midichlorians. And stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, too, with Vader, since he's less human, you know, because the midi- midichlorians are in living things, you know. Right. So he's he, he's like he should he's supposed to be less powerful when he's Vader, but then oh no, his rage is so great. <coughs> That's what kept him alive, and he's still super powerful. But, you know, the, the canon was he was always he was, you know, Vader is less powerful after what happened because he's half the man he used to be literally, <laughs> you know, so. But, yeah, I mean, Kenobi, I'm still optimistic. I'm glad we got it, but it's just it's got some really good moments that are just awesome. But it is not greater than the sum of its parts. So, like I said, you know, another couple of weeks, what weeks it'll be done. We'll be able to talk about it in full. But it's just it's it, to me so far it's just, it's wasted potential. Just like so, why did they spend all that money and time on Solo for something nobody wanted? Hmm. I don't know. They need to get a uh, oh what's his name Dave Filoni and uh, Favreau to write everything related to Star Wars and not let anybody else write anything to keep it canon <clears throat> or keep it in line. Uh, but yeah. So uh, anything else for Back to the Future, Jesse? No, nope, that'd be end. it. All right, good show, old chap. And of course, this is our second episode for Pride Month. June is Pride Month, and we left off last episode, kind of. Uh, so, oh, hold on, let me. Wee wee ruga ruga. We are going to be talking about some facts in this section. That if you don't like facts, go watch Fox News. There you go. Oh God, he did it. He was political. Oh my God. Anyway. Talking about, uh, here's some, because the 80s were, was not a, as we talked about last episode, the 80s were not a kind decade to our uh, friends in the LGBTQ uh, plus demographic in terms of their representation in film and in, the, and in reality. And a big, big, big thing that happened in the 80s, as we did half the 80s last episode, was the uh, emergence of the AIDS epidemic. And we left off in 1985 last year, so we're picking up in 1986 on the AIDS timeline here to help educate our audience and ourselves as well. Uh, so picking up where we left off, May 9th, 1986, the virus that causes AIDS is officially named HIV Six year, uh, five years after, it was, or four years after it was actually discovered. Later on that year, October 22nd, 1986, the U.S. Surgeon General C. Everett Koop, what a name. And it's Coop with a K, K-O-O-P. Uh, Ed Boone from Mortal Kombat will be proud. Uh, anyway, he encourages parents and schools to talk about AIDS. Uh, and that's coming from the Surgeon General. Like, hey, talk to your children about this. You know, when's that, you know, I mean, we have, uh, the only thing we can relate that to is coronavirus, but there's still a huge, huge difference between the two. Uh, October 24th, 1986, the CDC finds this approach, this proportionate rates of HIV among blacks and Hispanics in the U S they report that African-Americans account for 25% of new HIV infections, but only 12% of the U S population. And the ratio for Hispanics was 14% of new infections, yet only 6% of the population. 
And as we get to the end of 1986, uh, we have uh, 1986, 2,960 people lost their lives to AIDS. And cumulatively at that point, halfway through the 80s, 16,301. Well, Trey, well, that's not that many when you compare the population of the United States. It is. One is too many uh, when it comes to people dying. Uh, moving on to 1987, March 12th, 1987, ACT UP is established. Uh, playwright and AIDS activist Larry Kramer establishes the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, or ACT UP, acronym, which will become one of the most effective health activist groups in history. March 1987, FDA approves the first drug to treat AIDS and creates a priority category for AIDS therapy. So we're finally getting some stuff, we're finally getting some, you know, more knowledge being. Uh, gathered. We're getting stuff done. We're getting treatments out there for people. And June 24th, 1987, U.S. President Ronald Reagan establishes Presidential Commission on HIV. And then uh, less than a month later, on July 11th, 87, U.S. Congress enacts a travel ban. Yeah, that wasn't something that just happened under Donald Trump, everybody. We've done all sorts of things in the history of this country that are not so good, not so bad. Uh, they enacted a travel ban for people living with HIV. If you had HIV, Congress said you can't travel. You're banned from traveling if you have HIV. Uh, September 30th, 1987, CDC launches America Response to AIDS, the first AIDS-related public service announcements. That's when we started seeing all this stuff on TV. They were trying to get actual information and facts out to people so people weren't panicking and scaring their children about having to pad toilet seats when they go to the mall, as I mentioned last episode. October 11th, 1987, the AIDS Memorial Quilt is displayed for the first time. Uh, it was the brainchild of AIDS activist Cleve Jones, and he, cre he created the first panel of the AIDS Memorial Quilt in 86 as a way to honor the memory of his friend, Martin Feldman. Uh, when the quilt was first displayed in Washington, D.C., it featured 1,920 panels that memorialized people who died of AIDS. By 2020, there are over 50,000 panels. So it went up from less than 2,000 to 50,000 within, uh, let's see, it was 2020 and the first one was 87, 30, 37 years, 33 years, excuse me, so, pardon me. Bad with math, people, but I'll get there. I will get there. Uh, October 22nd, 1987, AIDS becomes the first disease to be debated on the floor of the UN General Assembly. Because remember, AIDS was not just, you know, as it was categorized by the right-wingers in the 80s, uh, in fact, and it's, this is true. This is 100% true. Go to YouTube and you can find actual audio recordings of what Reagan's press secretary was doing every time people would just mention what the administration was going to do about it. They would laugh it off and, and make gay jokes about it. And this is your these are your public officials on air doing it in the 80s. Uh, so like I said, it was not a good time for that demographic of Americans at all. Uh, and by the end of 1987, and again, this is just 1987, we had 4,135 4, AIDS deaths in 87. Uh, March 3rd, 1988, activist Ryan White testified before the U.S. Presidential Commission on AIDS about the impact of HIV-related stigma. Uh, of course, you know, uh, we talked about Ryan White before. Very sad, but because he was a white kid in uh, rural America, he became the face of AIDS. Uh, to, uh, you know, help kind of, quote, unquote, bring it home for all the, you know, quote, unquote, God-fearing Americans, so to speak, that were uh, oblivious and oblivious yet terrified of this disease. Uh, May 26, 1988, U.S. Surgeon General sends understanding AIDS brochures 
to every U.S. household. Hmm. So look, you know, again, they're trying to get the information out there. This is what you need to know. This is what science knows at the time. And by the end of 1988, or throughout from, uh, for the year 1988, AIDS deaths totaled 4,855. And moving into the last year of the 80s, 1998, the NIH trials find that AZT significantly showed, slowed, excuse me, the HIV disease progression, giving uh, the first real, as far as I know, again, I'm ignorant of a lot of this stuff because I'm trying to re just research it on the surface level for the podcast. But that was the first thing, the first real big lifeline for people dealing with HIV at that time. And then August 18th, 1989, the CDC reports that AIDS cases in the U.S. have reached over 100,000 in the United States alone. And just now, the total number of AIDS deaths in 1988 was 4,855. The total number of AIDS deaths in 1989, 14,544. And then finally, we will take a little tippy-toe into the 90s just to kind of round out uh, our thoughts on my thoughts on this, I should say. In 1990, I don't have an exact date, but Ronald Reagan apologized for his neglect of the epidemic while he was president. Uh, two years after you're out of office is two years too late and doesn't really mean anything. So, uh, And again, all presidents have done great things and not so great things. But when it comes to... Uh, the LGBTQ plus community when in the eighties, especially Reagan was not a, their friend and, you know, AIDS was destroyed that, you know, ripped through that community and created such a stigma that still, unfortunately still exists to this day, despite the fact that people, you know, AIDS in the eighties, it was pretty much a death sentence for the most part, especially the early eighties until they had other treatments come out. Uh, I mean, Magic Johnson, I remember when Magic Johnson got diagnosed with AIDS. I was like scared, like, oh no, Magic Johnson's going to die. He's still, no, nah, man, he's still alive. Mm -hmm. It's not the death sentence that it was. It's still something you have to live with, but there's so, we have come so far. Obviously, we still don't have a cure. That's the ultimate goal. But, you know, it's not, it's not just like, you know, I said already, it's, it's not the death sentence that it was, that it used to be. And that's nothing but a good thing for the millions of people affected by this. So, yeah, so that kind of rounds out your uh, brief crash course in history of AIDS as mm -hmm. <laughs> distributed by the intelligent minds of this podcast, thanks to Wikipedia and Google and CDC numbers. So uh, no emails this week, which is not a problem. We did get another review, though, another great review. Let me pull it up on my phone real quick because uh, Jesse didn't uh, hesitate at all to send it to me <laughs> anytime we get a review. Always good to see these great new reviews. Got a great uh, one-star review again, but I will say this: at least this one wasn't about our politics, our quote-unquote quote, progressiveness. True. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, the Dark Jedi Knight, the Apple Podcasts. He says, uh, "Can't shit on Spielberg." One star. I listened to half an episode. The hosts hate the movies era in which they're covering. <laughs> Homie. 272 episodes of 80s movies. I don't think we hate the decade. Uh, they crap on Spielberg, the greatest director of the 80s, probably of all time. So bad. Well, first off, you listen to half an episode. Uh, secondly, we didn't shit on Spielberg. We simp I made a statement that, and, you, and you can fight me on this. You're trying to tell me that War Horse is equal to Jaws or Raiders or E.T. or even Close Encounters of the Third Kind because it ain't. The point of that discussion if you listened 
and then just get snowflake rage. I love, I love saying the word snowflake because I'm not on the far right. <laughs> Say that, and it ticks people off so much uh, on the far right when you call them a snowflake. Uh, I'm not saying this person's on the far right. I'm just using that as a terminology as to why I'm using the word snowflake. But anyway, we didn't shit on Spielberg. All I said, excuse me, I keep saying we, the colloquial we. Uh, all I said was, and Jesse, if you want to play it right here, you can. Again, really, Scott has created some of the greatest films ever made. But his, the films he's made, he's made in the past 10 years are shit. He has lost his edge. He is nowhere near the visionary director he was. Not that, the, I mean, I would say the same thing for Spielberg, although he's kind of getting his mojo back, I'd say. You know, uh, he instead of doing, you know, stuff like War Horse, he did, uh, I mean, he, well, he did War Horse, but he did War Horse and he did, uh, oh, God damn it, uh, Ready Player One. You know, he did something a little more fun. You know, so Ridley Scott has not done anything fun. He keeps, you know, he keeps blocking Neil Blomkamp from making anything related to Alien. And he keeps pumping out crap like Alien Covenant instead of letting somebody else take a crack at it. You know, so maybe that's just how directors work. I don't know. But uh, hopefully not. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, really, again, really Scott, uh, Legend, Blade Runner. Um, what else in his early career? What am I missing? Uh, Black Rain with Michael Douglas. Gladiator. Uh, speaking of Susan Sarandon, Thelma and Louise. I'm missing a big one. For, Alien. God, that's the one. I, that's the main one I was trying to remember. <laughs> uh, Alien. You know, I mean, he, Alien and Blade Runner are two of the most influential films of all time, and he did them within like three years of each other. Like, see, Alien was at 79, Blade Runner was 82. Yeah, within three years, he made two of the most influential film films ever. Not to mention his 1984 Apple commercial has long been considered the greatest commercial ever made. I mean, the man. What I will honestly, he was incredible. He was an incredible director, and look at what he's done recently. <laughs> My opinion. If you disagree, hey, that's cool. Let me know about it. He's visited at gmail.com. There you go. Uh, but if you. <laughs> Just in case, Jesse, I'll, I'll continue my diatribe if you don't want to add it in. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the, the topic of discussion was simply that you have these visionary directors. Never, we didn't say anything bad about Spielberg, necessarily. We didn't say anything bad about his movies from the 80s. We sim I simply said that he doesn't make them like he used to. Nowhere near as bad as Ridley Scott. And I even said you know, Spielberg went from making you know, crap like War Horse. War Horse is a bad movie. Sorry, I don't care who directed it. Spielberg does not make a good movie every time he makes a movie. You know, let's be honest. No director does, except maybe, uh, you know, Blomkamp. Like all, all three. No, Demonic wasn't that good. See, there you go. You know, look, it's okay to disagree, obviously. If you, if you think Spielberg's never made a bad movie, that's your opinion. That's fine. It's not my opinion. War Horse sucked. And honestly, the movie that most people think is his worst movie, which is Munich, is one of his best. Nothing but praise for Spielberg and praise for... 99% of the movies we do on the podcast, by, by the way, I'm not sure where you get off saying that we hate the movies that we talk about. What's, I mean, what's the last movie that we did that we hate that was even one that didn't get a high score? Garbage Pail Kids, the movie, maybe? For three years ago, whenever that was? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so I love these reviews that are uneducated because we can, we have, we got the receipts. King Put Kong it to you lives. that way. That's probably the last one. Yeah, King Kong Liz was garbage. <laughs> So there you go, you know, and that's what I don't understand. Like, you know, again, leave a review, whether you love us or hate us. I don't care. It's fun to talk about. However, you better have your receipts before you leave a review because 
the last three one-star reviews we got, which again are totally fine because calling us this podcast woke, calling us progressive, that's fine with me. And I believe it's fine with Jesse too. Uh, If not, Jesse will correct me. (laughs) Uh, But saying that we hate 80s movies, that's a line you don't cross, sir. This podcast is called 80s Revisited, not trashing on the 80s. Uh, And like I said, you can go there. We can probably count on one hand the movies that we didn't like on the podcast or I didn't like personally on the podcast. So don't come at me with that bull and don't come at me saying that we hate Spielberg because nobody said we hate him. I hate the movie Warhorse. Doesn't mean I hate Spielberg because he gave us, I mean, look, I will never, it, it, it sticks me off the more I think about it because Jaws is my favorite, probably my favorite movie of all time. Uh, Raiders eats, like I said, all the movies mentioned before. Spielberg has some of the most amazing movies ever made. Arguably, probably the greatest director, living director right now. Probably the greatest director of all time. It's definitely, that's definitely a valid discussion. Jurassic Park, doesn't, you know, I almost forgot about that. How can I forget about that one? Uh, you know, the man's given us some of the most iconic movies of all time. And he was never, uh, as to quote the review, shit on, uh, as this reviewer said. But for every Jaws, you got a BFG. Uh, you know, uh, 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 let's see, for every Raiders of the Lost Ark, you have a war horse. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, there you go. Oh, oh, perfect example. Indiana Jones is one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Yes, that's right. It's still a trilogy. And it, and the next one is not directed by Spielberg. It's directed by the, James Mangold and Logan. It still might be a trilogy after that one. But you get what I'm <laughs> saying. Spielberg made Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You want to tell me? There's your, There's the proof right there how the mighty have fallen. You go from Raiders, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Come on now. <laughs> I'll accept your uh, updated review on my desk in the morning. Dark <laughs> Jedi Knight, whatever his name was. <laughs> Just kidding. That's your opinion, and you're welcome to it. But again, you obscenely state things that are not true in your review. And that's the only thing I take issue with. If you want to say he doesn't like Warhorse and I can't listen to it, so that's one review. That's fine. That's that is a that is a truthful review, but it is not truthful to say that we shit on Steven Spielberg because uh, if you truly love something, you love it warts and all. So you don't put things on a pedestal, uh, especially religions. So there you go. <laughs> Question everything, and you will. This true belief is wrong. <laughs> so there you go. Sorry. Let's not get too political this episode like we did last episode. Let's, let's keep our whatever one it was previously. Anyway, so e- you can email us. Let us know what you think. 80srevisited at gmail.com on Facebook. 80s Revisited Podcast on Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. And, of course, check out our good friends, both near and far. Cajun Tour Review, John. He, has, he puts up videos all the time. Very enjoyable, especially his blind bag videos. He's got some good luck and some bad luck. It's always fun watching other people and see what their luck ends up being on those things. And, of course, our good friend Ben, the Tasmanian Devil, Wyatt. Of course, in Tasmanian. TCW, they got a pay-per-view coming up. Doomslayer, I'm in your corner, bro. Come on. Need a win. Maskless Doomslayer. So we'll see how that turns out. But as always, uh, leave a review, good or bad. That's fine. But I will caution you if you leave one. Well, I I will urge you first. If you do leave a review... Tell us what's good, what's bad. Totally fine. But I will also urge you that if you do leave a review that's bad, you better have your receipts because we keep them here because it's all—it's literally all recorded so we can go back and listen to it. <laughs> so don't make untrue observations in your review. So that's all I ask on that. Leave a truthful one. 
We have nothing to worry about. And you can leave one star review. Like I said, he doesn't like, he, he thought Garbage Pail Kids, a movie was a terrible movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. One star. That's a valid review. I, yep. I have no rebuttal for that. You are correct. You are correct, sir. <laughs> uh, but don't say that we shit on the mo- this movies of this decade because we don't do it unless the movie actually is shitty. <laughs> so we do shit on very few, but not that many. So anyway, everybody, next week, um, I'm not sure. I have a couple in, in mind. I'm just going to see what I kind of get to watch. Uh, but I will post it on Insta- on the usual social media as to what the movie is next week. Uh, but that does it this week for 80s Revisited. I need to go get some more hairspray in my thinning hair to keep it on my head and not on the ground. But until next time, I will hopefully remain a Steven Spielberg hating 80s movie despising <laughs> host of an 80s movie podcast, Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Cowabunga!